podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Australia have three wins from four after beating Pakistan by 41 runs in an enthralling encounter at Taunton that threatened to go right to the death. The Aussies started like a train, David Warner bouncing back from his curious innings against India with 100 and they looked well set for 350 plus until a brilliant spell from Mohamed Amir who took his first ODI Fifer restricted them to 307. In reply, a middle-order collapse appeared to dash Pakistan's hopes before a late flourish from Safraz Ahmed and Wahab Riaz gave Australia a scare. It took Mitchell Stark's intervention to allay those fears, the left arm quick seeing off the tail and leaving Pakistan with ground to make up in their bid to make the semi-finals. Welcome to the Wisden Cricket Daily podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. I'm your host Joe Harmon. Sitting next to me is Phil Walker, the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly magazine, which we actually sent to the printers about an hour ago, didn't we, Phil? Yeah, yeah, just over an hour now. Yeah, um, I'm exultant and knackered. Good. Well, you sound both. Both, yeah, and I'm hungry as well. Oh, starving. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll sort that out soon. But before that, and before we come back to you, yeah, um, we're first going to hear from Sam Landsberger, reporter for the Herald Sun in oh, Australia, burgers. who was at Taunton to see the action unfold. I caught up with Sam straight after stumps as he was rushing off to the press conference. Sam, thanks ever so much for joining us today. Uh, a fascinating game. Australia appeared in complete control at a couple of stages there, and then almost looked like they were going to lose it at the end. They did. Uh, Pakistan was in a really good position, probably with about six or seven overs to go. They basically just had to get through Mitchell Stark's final spell, and it looked like they could take the other bowlers apart and, and get to the 308 required. But I think Stark's ninth over, that double strike, just completely turned the game. And for the second time in less than a week, Mitchell Stark's death bowling has got Australia out of jail, um, and um, suddenly they're in a pretty good position at 3-1. There's a feeling that this Australian side might be too reliant on, on a few key players and that seems to perhaps play out again today, that that big four of Warner, Finch, Stark, Cummins really come into the fore. Uh, I thought today, despite the win, there's a lot of holes in that team. I mean, the, the middle the middle order is a problem. Maxwell came in at number four today, then they didn't have enough firepower below him to um, to, to cash in on the good start of the death. Um, the third team was an issue today. Nathan Coulton-Isle was joined by Kane Richardson. That probably doesn't seem like a, 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 a pace attack that's good enough to, to win a World Cup. So uh, Marcus Stoinis is obviously the injury cloud on him. So despite the win and Australia being 3-1 almost at the halfway mark of the tournament there's just a, a few cracks in this team so I think the wind does sort of put a bit of wallpaper over there but I think there'll also be a few concerns tonight as well one guy they'll be less concerned about is, is David Warner obviously came in for some <coughs> criticism after that slightly curious innings against Indy the other day <coughs> batted with a bit more conviction today uh, and looked I mean he obviously loves 100 at, at, at any time but he seemed to celebrate that with uh, even more gusto than usual yeah, straight after he, um, he he made that century, his, his wife Candace, who's in London with their two daughters at the moment, put on Instagram that his smile says it all and there'll be plenty more where that came from. So I think this one really did mean a lot for him today. It was also in a really important... Not because he is uh, his form in England has been pretty scratchy throughout his whole career. He's never made a century in England in any form until today. So uh, I think, especially after all the criticism over the past sort of two or three days, which was pretty intense back home in Australia over his strike, but I think he put that to bed today. So uh, and that was a bit of a statement game. I mean, he's the man that sort of could lead lead Australia in a little bit of a charge here. I spoke to Kevin Peterson before the tournament. He thought that Warner was the man that would probably explode and you know might be the player of the World Cup and we at the halfway mark he's got 255 runs to his name so there's 
despite the criticism over the past few days, it's been a very productive first four games back in Australian colours for, for David Warner. Yeah, it's by, by no means a bad start. And another guy who's made a, a, a brilliant start to the World Cup, as expected probably, is Pat Cummins, who I thought bowled <clears> particularly well today. I think he's got nine wickets already, right up there at the top of the wicket-takers charts with Mo Amir. He's taking wickets with a new ball, taking wickets in the middle, not going for many runs. He's a captain's dream, isn't he? Yeah, it is. And there was a lot of thought today about making him first change. I think if they played Jason Berra North, they probably would have given him the new ball because he does extract a little bit more swing. So that would have been two left armers with Stark and Berra North and then Cummins at first change. But I think part of the reason they didn't go down that uh, that plan was that Cummins is just too good not to give the new ball to. I mean, yeah. he just he just warrants it. He's just so good. He's just such a strike weapon up the top that you almost have to, which makes the, the selection of Berra North in the squad a little bit questionable. Uh, but he, he's just so good to watch. And, the, and they feed off the energy he brings to the contest. Uh, yeah, he's just, he, he just bangs it in so hard. Yeah, he, he gets good players out every game. I mean, he really is a pleasure to watch. And, he, you know, he, he won the AB medal recently. He's quite clearly at the moment that the best player in Australian cricket. And he's the, the, the one good story that's emerged over the past 14 months. Yeah, he, he wasn't at this level when the ball t- tampering stuff went down 14 months ago. So to see him really emerge and take world cricket by storm has been a great story for Australian cricket. It's funny, you, you mentioned the criticism back in Australia. There's been quite a lot of criticism of, of Australia in England as well. Despite that, as we've said, they've got three wins from four. The only loss was to India, who are obviously a very strong side. They'd have definitely taken this at the start of the tournament, wouldn't they? 100%. And I remember speaking to Ricky Ponting before the tournament. He, he's obviously won World Cups, I think, three times in his career. So he knows a little bit about this uh, about uh, this game. And he said in tournament play, it's just so important not to peak too soon. Uh, you know, you, you really do need to build and build. It's a long tournament. The final still is, what, five weeks away. So based on, on, on his message that you, you really do need to, to start slowly, they, they are ticking that box. So yeah, if they can keep building and building, that game against England on June 25 looks pretty tantalising and yeah, Ricky will be hoping that, that, that they get better and better every game. And then there's still the, the cloud over Marcus Stoinis who's got that got that side strain. Um, he's been a big part of Australia's ODI team recently. Do you think they're gonna they're gonna have to make a call at some stage? Do you think what's what's the latest? Do you think he's gonna keep his place, or do you think they're gonna have to have to twist? Yeah, uh, Stoinis, um I think he's racing the clock here. I don't think they can have him sitting on the bench for for more than two games. Uh, Mitch Marsh is on his way to England. He was gonna come over on Friday anyway as part of the Australia A squad. They put him on the plane three days early. Look, because there's no backup all rounder in the squad, they they need to make a decision because I think we saw today that with Sean Marsh in the in the team instead of Stoinis, they are a bowler too light. Yeah, they had to get overs out of Aaron Finch today. They had to bowl out Glenn Maxwell a little bit more. Their hands are tied from that point of view. So, you know, even Astonis is probably, you know, back in one to two weeks, they probably have to pull the trigger and make the change because they don't that, that they need that flexibility in the team. And um, thanks so much for joining us, Sam, and, and hope to hear more from you over the course of the World Cup. Okay, Phil, that's that's what Sam makes of Australia so mm. far in this tournament. Uh what, what do you make of this Australian side? Flawed in many ways, but racking up the wins. That's 11 and 12 ODIs now. What do I make of it? Um, you, you can make a case of that it's an erratic side, that it's an incomplete side, as all Australian journalists are that I've spoken to about it. Sam Perry was on the show last week. He said, don't worry about it, boys. It's all right. That Sam said it again just now. Adam Collins has said the same thing to me. Uh, Jeff Lemon has echoed these kinds of thoughts. It's, it's lulling it's, us into a false sense I, of security. There is an element of that. There is undoubtedly an element of that. They have enough quality, without a doubt, to take it to the semi-finals. And this ongoing discussion that we keep having day by day is a, is about who can win it. Well, the question is who can get to the semi-finals because once you get to the semi-finals, it's a hundred over cricket, and then any, anybody can 
can can have a day out today um, on their on their day rather. I think Australia will. I think it was a big game for Australia today in the context of the group how it's going to play out. I think they 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 may well have got the upper hand on another of those challenges for the say the second or th- for the third or fourth spot yeah. in that top four. Um, it was a bit of a six pointer today and uh, and they got it done just as they got it done against the West Indies last week without looking especially potent or convincing but and with those flaws being cl- quite glaring even in those victories yeah yeah but when you have a handful of champion cricketers as they obviously do and in Mitchell Stark they have a proven match winner who's uh, whose pedigree is as good as anyone in the world and I know that he's had a rough year or two but I don't really pay much attention to that I look at the overall average of 21 over a number of years I look at his big match match class and we saw it four years ago we're seeing it again uh, in this tournament he knocked the West Indies over after they'd threatened to chase down a, a, a 300 plus target and, and he did it again today against against Pakistan it, but we are still talking about with Stark and Cummins that's 20 overs of high quality bowling and then 30 overs of perhaps not such high quality bowling yeah sure Coulter Nile looks like a, an average uh, backup seamer Richardson bowled pretty well actually I thought from what I saw but he's not he's not overly threatening um, he, he got Asif Ali out with a good kind of cross seamer that bounced and, and stuck in the pitch a little bit yeah and they, they they had to sort of spirit 10 overs from Maxwell a little bit of the skipper himself and then got a bonus with Finch getting Hafiz, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, indeed. So, so clearly, this is not a dream cricket team. Sean Marsh was recalled into the middle order today for his first game, I think, of the tournament. You're always going to be comfortable if Sean Marsh is walking out with 15 overs to go. Usman Khawaja, who incidentally is the highest ODI run scorer in the last 12 months, which was a surprise to me. But again, he doesn't fill you with fear. Uh, he was bumped down the order today because they had such a good start. So Smith came in three. Yeah. None of these cricketers that we mention are especially intimidating terrifying Australian beasts of yore but when you do have two champion seamers and you do have two champion batsmen and you are Australia then you're always going to scrap you're not going to drop catches you're going to hit that run out in the last at the death as Maxwell did you knew just as Pakistan couldn't couldn't catch a a cold all day that Australia would snaffle everything you just knew they Mm. would you can never fully put them to one side in any world tournament and you look ahead they've got Sri Lanka here at the Oval on Saturday then I think they play Bangladesh in their following game so after that I mean they could have five wins from six which almost puts them in the semi-finals confidence will start to grow within the camp which already seems to have happened after those uh, away victories in uh, India and Pakistan in the lead up to this series and suddenly you've got a if not formidable team you've got a fairly formidable prospect yeah. of a team that you don't want to necessarily play against yeah bang on exactly that and they've got India out the way as well So they've, and they've got West Indies out the way which is a very dangerous team Pakistan also they've only really got England left of the, of the big heavy hitters and New Zealand of yeah. course but you would think even if they were to lose those two and win the rest and they would qualify yeah well they're well on course aren't they yeah they're well on course which perhaps takes us to Pakistan who we saw them they were awful against West Indies they were brilliant against England and today we saw a bit of both in the same game I'd say um, <sighs> should we start with the positives let's let's talk about Mo Amir who uh, has had a rough time of it recently he wasn't remember originally meant to be in their World Cup squad then was promoted into the World Cup squad basically mm. because a few bowlers went the distance in the ODI series that preceded this World Cup uh, and is now bowling as well as I've seen since he came back into international cricket. Yeah, it's often 
it often feels a bit naff to talk about luck when when you you're sort of masquerading as serious pundits and and Ed Smith does it. So, so why can't we? Ed Smith's written the book on luck, literally. <laughs> um, Mo Amir has been unlucky in the last couple of years in Test cricket and in and in ODI cricket and Crickviz, those inestimable boffins over the other side of the oval from where we are doing this show now. They they have crunched the numbers and 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 proved this for us. And we did that piece for Wisdom Cricket Monthly a few months ago, which which proved that. Which showed the the number of high class wicket taking deliveries that he's he's bowled that have either beaten the bat or caught the edge, and he's the victim of a, an inordinate number of dropped catches. Certainly in that that test series here last year, what you saw today was an unlucky five for thirty and ten overs. <laughs> genuinely, gen- I know that sounds silly, but genuinely, I was tearing my hair out this morning. Not least because I'd already written three thousand words by about ten o'clock at the sheer bad luck of the of the kid. He he beat. He beat Finch's bat four times, and he beat Warner's bat twice in the first half an hour. And I've actually looked this right. up. I've, I've looked. He, he beat Finch three times in the first over. The the other opening bowler, Shaheen, he he beat Warner once. So they they beat the bat seven times in the first sort of five or six overs. Amir deserved more than five for thirty. He it was an absolute masterclass. And if he'd winkled one or two of those out early doors, as he probably deserved to, then they wouldn't have been chasing three well, they might have been chasing three oh seven, sure, but it would have been they very unlikely back, they that they'd have been chasing. Well, they? They, they clawed it back yeah. look, they were facing three forty and they ended yeah. up three oh seven. It was a good achievement of sorts. Uh, but Mo Amir has been let down by his fielders for years. On that, on that piece you mentioned, Wisdom Cream Monthly piece, there was a comparison between the amount of catches taken off his bowling compared to uh, Mohamed Hasif, uh, which was just extraordinary. I mean, it led you to think there might be some sort of conspiracy in the slip cordon because it was kind of like double the percentage rate of successful chances. Yeah, that's it. Uh, he he got enough movement today. He, he's not as quick as he used to be. We we know that. He's a different bowler, probably a different man to to that, that dark time back in 2010. But he's he's still able to get the ball to talk on his day. Uh, and considering these white balls are pretty pretty gun barrel straight most mm. of the time, it was it was a masterclass today. And with a bit more luck, he would have got got one or two of the two of the openers. And as it was, they put on well eighty two and one hundred and seven. I think they 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 made those two openers. Yeah. You know, so even so, without luck, he's he's now the leading wicket taker in the tournament with ten. I believe right. one, one ahead of coming. So interesting, good. So well, when, I'm the, glad when he starts to see getting it. lucky, um, yeah, I'm glad to see it. I've interviewed him. Out. I've interviewed him once before. Um, I, I warmed to him as a, as a bloke. His story is obviously extraordinary um, and and dark with, with shades of light in there as well. And, and and I don't think anyone with a with a heart and any kind of sense of forgiveness would begrudge what what you're seeing with Mo Amir at the moment. I didn't think they bowled badly at all, Pakistan. I thought I thought Riaz bowled really well. Riaz bowled came, very came well. Yeah, uh, but. They were diabolical, comically bad in the field. It was agonising, really, at times. Obviously, Asif Ali put two down. He put one one down at slip, which was travelling, in fairness, um, off Wahab, off the back foot, uh, against the skipper, Finch, who threw his hands at it. But he also dropped a, a kind of looping, miscued pull down to, to long leg, you know, that you'd catch in your sleep. Um, if you drop that fourth team level on a Saturday, then you'd be buying the beers at the end of the day. It was it was a stinker. Um, Shoaib Malik, who's a cricketer I've always liked, not least for the sense that he has a hinterland away from the game, fielded like like, like well, he's thirty seven and a half. Mm. You know, you can add a few more years onto onto that performance today. It was it was agonising, really. 
Mohamed Hafiz actually took quite a good catch. But again, having those two players, Hafiz is 38, Shoaib Malik is 37. Having those two players in the ring in modern cricket, when you're a bit of an erratic fielding side traditionally anyway, you are always fighting against the tide. And really in contrast to the other, the top nations in this in this World That's Cup as it. well. I mean, it's it's really stark. Yeah. And what, what of the batting as well? Because, well, let's start. I know you won't, won't hear a word said against him, but Babar Azam is obviously a fantastic player. Um, but his score so far in this tournament, 22. 63-30 yeah not uh, I think enough. most people would have said at the start of the tournament Pakistan had against the semi-finals he needs to score a load of runs and he hasn't been able to do that I mean he played what I think might have been the shot of the tournament so far um, the on drive on drive which he just lent on and then two balls later he puts it down deep square legs throat uh, and is gone for a, a lovely 30 but they need more than that don't they especially when he looks in such good touch yeah it's not good enough. Not good enough for a player as, as gifted as this boy and one who's who's delivered as well. It's not that we're taking a punt on, on this, this cricketer. He's made a number of ODI hundreds now. He averages around 50-odd from, from a fair few games now. He is their linchpin. I know he's only 23, 20, I think he's 24. That doesn't matter. He is, their, he is their key man and Pakistan back youth, as we know. And he is so good. He is technically as good a player as, as I've seen in a long time. And I, I put him right up there. The way that he moves, the economy of movement, the 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 minimal back back and across the the mere requirement just to lean into the ball on those stunning cover drives and, and he drives straight he barely touches it and it pings off the bat he can play the short ball he can play spinners he can do the lot and so you're right 20 30 and a 60 in a team which is erratic is not good enough and, an- and that 30 odd today there was the game which is yeah. incidentally a cliche that is, everyone's saying here's the game there's the game everyone's saying it on commentary every day but but that was the game if he batted for another hour I think that Pakistan would have won this game there's an opportunity I mean he's only 24 there will be other World Cups but there is an opportunity here for him to go above and beyond and ODI Ramiz Raja said this at the start of the World Cup he said Babar Azam's got an incredible record and he scores runs all around the world but there'll be a lot of fans who don't necessarily sit up and notice until you do it in a World Cup and this is his opportunity he's batting so well we're only three games in he's got plenty more chances but to get to Pakistan to those semi-finals he, he does need to start getting big scores immediately really starting with their very next game I'd suggest yeah bang on I did I had the temerity to send a tweet this afternoon Joe did you that's yeah a, that's a rarity. On, on print day as well and I wrote that I hate watching him bat I hate watching Baba bat because he's so beautiful that I'm filled with regret immediately about his imminent departure and the void that it will leave before it even happens so I can't even enjoy watching because I know that it, it will have to stop <laughs> <laughs> it's what my what my old man used to say about about Gower, how he could never enjoy watching Gower because it was so exquisite. He just knew it in the end it would be it would be over, it would be finished, and so you couldn't even enjoy it, enjoy it for what it was. I feel this with Babrazam. He made a sixty against England in the uh, ODIs, which again will be forgotten about because it was just a sixty in a in a run fest. But it was unimprovably beautiful, and then he just nicked a, a long hop off Rashid I think it was to slip no he no he missed sorry he missed it it was clean bold like a, a, an innocuous straight up and down back foot tried to punch it for one to the man that extra cover just missed it missed it he'd been flawless up until that point whenever I sit down and properly watch him and I'm always trembling a little bit and my heart's a flutter he always gets himself out I sent that tweet just before I got on the train incidentally knowing full well that that, that by the time I got off the train and he was gone he'd be gone the sexiest dirt you've ever seen Anyway, well, that is chapter six in <laughs> Phil Walker's love-hate story with Baba Azam. Look forward to chapter seven in, in, in next week's show. Um, oh, oh, go on, ask me some other, th- other no, stuff, I think, sorry. Well, let's 
Let's do one, one more question. We've got another little topic I want to cover, which doesn't relate to today's game. But let's also talk about Pakistan's selection. Shadab Khan was not picked. Yeah, should have been, I think. Which is surprising to me because of everything he offers he's a brilliant he's the best fielder I think um, he offers some runs down the order and he's a brilliant leg spinner and they they ended up spending I think McCullum on commentary said this is the time they should have gone to their quicks but they kept bowling um, Shoaib Malik and Hafiz who both went for quite a few Hafiz particularly yeah. and it just felt that was the time when Shadab Khan should, should be there should be bowling yeah it is difficult with this team because in an ideal world I don't think they'd want to play Shoaib Malik and Hafiz in that side but they are a batsman light uh, and if they were to bring Shadab in for either of those then you'd be weakening the batting ever more that said I think the show after today yeah, he got a second ball up fielded awfully um, hasn't really been effective with the ball so I wouldn't be surprised if Shadab comes in and they just go for broke Safraz came in at five today and looked like a like a you know, a player who can do that job yeah. at five. Uh, but I think they have to play Shadab Khan. He's a, he's a brilliant young cricketer. As you say, he offers a bit of this and a bit of that. And he can bat. He's made a Test 50 at Lords. You would have felt that he'd, if he'd been coming in at seven or eight today, then he would have... Because the run rate was fine. Yeah. You would have felt that he would have held it together with Safraz or certainly had a decent chance of holding it together, just to sort of suck some of the, the, the tension out of it. And then the hitters, uh, Hassan Ali and Wahab, you know, some kind of game tail enders, they could have come in at 8 and 9 or 9 and 10 and given it a whack as it was. They were in too early. Mm. Uh, so I, w- I would certainly play him. I think he's a brilliant young cricketer. I thought he bowled well as well when he did play the other day. So, yeah, the left-arm seamer as well, the Morrissey lookalike, Shaheen. Shane Navridi, yeah. Yeah. Um, who I tipped before the tournament. He, he he bowled poorly initially. I thought he came back pretty well. But that would be another possible area to, to bring Shadab in in place of him, possibly. Yeah. Maybe a horses for courses thing at Taunton as well, under, under bad, dirty skies. I think there was boundaries. an element of that, but they just picked the wrong horse for the wrong yeah. course. They will be really frustrated, though, because they had the rain off, of course, a few days ago against Sri Lanka, Shrenka, yeah. which they would have fancied winning. And obviously they beat England. So yeah, it's, it's kind of gone downhill quickly from, the, from that massive high of only a week or so ago yeah yeah indeed anyway I think we'll leave that there for on today's match um, as I mentioned away from today's action interesting story was reported by the Times of India bear with me I'll, I'll try to kind of explain the backstory. story uh, it's the holding story this is the Michael Holden story yes so Times of India who claimed to have got their hands on a couple of emails the first of those emails reportedly sent to the World Cup TV commentary team by Hugh Bevan who's the executive director of Sunset and Vine the ICC's rights partner essentially warned commentators not to criticise umpires now he said and I quote inherently in live television there are occasions when on-field decisions cause reason for discussion or debate but as ICC TV host broadcasters our duty is not to judge or highlight mistakes now the second of those emails I mentioned was a reply from Michael Holding obviously a member of the commentary team who had described the performance of the umpires in the Australia v West Indies match as atrocious he reportedly replied to Bevan saying that and I quote commentators are being more and more compromised by controlling organisations to the point of censorship he said he did not intend to go down that road and threatened to return home to the Caribbean contacted later by the Times of India Holding said the matter had been resolved Mm -hmm. ICC can Consider it case closed. It'll be interesting to see what Holding says in his next commentary stint. But whatever on Holding, it does raise an interesting debate. So, Phil, do you get the sense that impartiality has been compromised when you listen to commentary in in this World Cup and more broadly? Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Me too. I, I want I want to hear your thoughts on this because you you know you kind of got the short straw of having to ask me questions. So <laughs> so so elaborate. In in what in what cases? 
I think there are just glaring moments where umpires or players have done something wrong and you feel it as a fan, you feel it as a journalist and you don't feel that that's fairly replicated um, from what you're hearing on, on TV. And I think I think it's... When I watch the IPL, I think it's particularly clear. That was the example I was going to turn to. But I to. do feel like maybe that is now becoming true across more cricket than it might have been. Because I guess there is these obviously impressive figures of the game with strong opinions and you don't always get that feeling when you listen to them in the commentary box. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I guess withholding, he's been round the block too long. He's, he's too long in the tooth. He's not going to be told what to do by anybody. Without a doubt, it's the precedent set by the the IPL. But there is there is an obvious kind of journalistic conflict of, in, of interest that predated the IPL. You know, if we take, you know, Sky Sports, who, as we know, do a, do a fabulous job. And if you've got the money and the wherewithal to pay for it, then, then you will see that, that play out. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But there is, there is a fair, fair point to be made that Sky are, in many respects, the ECB's paymasters, in effect. They pay a lot of money for exclusive access and they employ excellent commentators who are very close to the players, who are ex-England cricketers, who are ex-England captains as well. There is a there is a kind of rec- recognition of palliness there, really. And that is most evident, no doubt, in the IPL, uh, when the, the host broadcaster is, is essentially, you know, the, the BCCI call the shots. You know, they are BCCI employees. Yeah. The line is murkier over here in England, but there is there is still that. That co- that conflict there un- unquestionably and and there will be it will be unavoidable um, the the same principle still uh, applies in this World Cup now as well you know sunset sunset and vine will be looking at it and thinking well hold on you know we're paying for this this is our tournament in effect us and the ICC this is our tournament you're on the payroll and your journalistic integrity in in inverted commas uh, can go hang. Uh, because because money is at work. What what I think has surprised me here is not really that this is the understanding this is what commentators are meant to stick to, but that it's actually been put down in an email if the Times of India report is is indeed accurate. That it's that that they feel able to say that you can't say this. That to me is reasonably shocking. I think, yeah. because it, and it does raise serious questions about are you surprised, what we're listening though? to. I'm surprised that someone would put it in an email in such clear terms. I'm not surprised that that's the kind of understanding across the board. I think the shame of all this as well is that I think we speak to. A a lot of cricketers and uh, the odd umpire and I think most of them are grown up enough to be able to take a bit of criticism that I mean they certainly get enough of it on social media an ex-pro saying I don't think they should have played this shot or that's an awful uh, awful decision by an umpire I don't think an umpire or player is going to lose a huge amount of sleep over that so I think this is also being it's just over cautious aside from issues of kind of integrity I don't think it's necessary yeah I, th- I think that's, a, that's an excellent point really uh, but we do live in a in a very kind of delicate eggshell walking kind of kind of time don't we you know? we do and, and it's and it's a, it's dispiriting to hear this but it doesn't surprise me it'd be interesting to see how 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 mikey holding reacts well it's gonna be very interesting at his next i don't know what game he's on next but i think people will be watching closely and i i mean he says the matters are resolved he might think it's resolved as in he's gonna carry on doing exactly what he wants yeah i hope so yeah i mean if he's feeling really mischievous he'll go the other way won't he he'll just be sending out pot shots after five minutes i wouldn't put him that past him either as well Well, anyway it'll be interesting viewing i think we're gonna call that a day all right okay for today you just get get, get going you can (laughs) tomorrow is new zealand india at trent bridge yeah trent yeah and it's gonna rain forecast is not so good but good news is we'll have a great podcast anyway 
Yaz will be replacing me in the hot seat tomorrow and he'll be joined by Phil, obviously. obviously. But, but much more excitingly, Tamal Mills, left arm tear away and part of the BBC's commentary team for the World Cup. Well, we could ask him about the commentary. That'd yeah. be good to do that. I'm yeah. not around, but make sure you do that. I, I've, I've done some commentary with Tamal before and it was the day after a stag do that he, he was in Las Vegas and he fell asleep halfway through the commentary. <laughs> okay, well, look forward to that to, one, I folks. Had to, <laughs> I had to nudge him on the arm, so hopefully he'll be slightly more, more I'm sure conscious he will. I'm tomorrow sure evening. He will. Yeah, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app or Spotify. Sports Social Podcast Network.